I would invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of 1 John, 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. If you're not sure where that is, just turn to the end of the Bible and go left a little bit. It's one of the last books of the Bible. Looking at 1 John chapter 5 as we are coming to the conclusion of the first part of this series as we're looking at these letters of John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. Today we're coming to the final verses of 1 John. So we'll look at 1 John chapter 5 beginning in verse 13. John says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true and we are in Him who is true, in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that you would open our eyes, that we might see what you want us to see from this portion of your word. Help us to believe the truth. Help us to learn what we need to learn. And above all, Father, help us to see Jesus. And seeing him, Father, we pray that our faith would be strengthened. And that our obedience would be increased. And that our love for you would grow. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know about you, but I find myself these days walking around uh, very skeptical and sometimes even a little bit cynical. Uh, There's just so much that's going on in our world today where we're told uh, what what is right and, and what is good and what is true and what is beautiful. And then we find out at some point later that those things are not those things. How can we know? Anything for certain. It, this is not just a recent phenomenon. We, this is something we struggle with all the time, I believe. Uh, let's just think of some examples. We can think of uh, uh, the example of sports. Think of baseball. Mark McGuire. Sammy Sosa. Barry Bonds. Roger Clemens. Some of the greatest names to ever have played baseball. And yet, none of them are in the Hall of Fame. Each of them have either been accused or have acknowledged that they took performance-enhancing drugs. They weren't as good as we thought they were. Or the sport of bicycle racing, the greatest of all time, Lance Armstrong. 
The authorities of that sport determined that Armstrong engaged in the most sophisticated, professionalized, successful doping program in the history of the sport, and they stripped him of his seven Tour de France medals. Or we can think about the Olympics right now. Perhaps you're watching it and you have seen the Russian female ice skater, a 15-year-old phenom. And she's been accused of taking a performance-enhancing drug. And one of the gold medals that she won just this last couple of weeks is now in jeopardy. It's not just with sports that we run into situations where we, where we thought was true, we end up not being true. We could think of politics. We can think of the Watergate scandal in the early 1970s, which led to Nixon's re resignation. We can think of the 2000 presidential election between Bush and Gore, where at one point Gore conceded to Bush and then an hour later retracted his concession. And then we know what we went through the next several months of manual recounts and court cases and hanging chads. We can think of what happened on January 6, 2021, the catastrophe in Washington, D.C., it's not just with sports. It's not just with politics. We can think about the pandemic. Masks, vaccinations, emergency orders from governing authorities, medical and scientific ex experts across a wide spectrum of views and belief. One telling us A is true. Another telling us A is not true. Skepticism, cynicism. How do we know with certainty? There's so much in this world that will make us skeptical and cynical. What we are told is right and true and good and beautiful can turn out to be the exact opposite of those things. So how can we know what is right? How can we know what is true with certainty? Well, there's a small gathering of God's people in a town called Ephesus in the first century A.D., God's people gathered in that town to be the church, to be God's people in that place. And they were asking many similar questions. Their context was very different. But the questions they were asking were very similar. A group of false teachers had infiltrated the church. And those teachers were telling the people of the church that what they thought they knew about Jesus wasn't actually true. He wasn't really fully God and fully man at his birth and at his crucifixion. He wasn't really the promised Messiah who had come. He was just a man who had died on a cross. And it created, as you would imagine, all kinds of confusion and, and skepticism within the church and perhaps even some cynicism. Is our faith real? Is Jesus who he said he was? Are we really the children of God? Does God really love and care for us? How do we know? How can we be sure? John wrote this letter so that they could know. So that they could know for sure. Isn't that what he says in verse 13? I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life, that you may know. Seven times in these last nine verses of John's letter, he talks about them knowing or that they may know. 
He wrote this letter and he says to them in a world that has filled uh, filled us with skepticism and cynicism when what we are told is right and good and true and beautiful ends up being the opposite of that. There are some things that we know for sure. There are things that we know with certainty. And John comes to the end of his letter summarizing so much of what he said throughout the letter and he says there are at least four things that we know are true. We know that God hears our prayers. We know that those of us who are born again must not and will not continue in sin. We know that we must be different than this world. And we know we are in Christ. Let's look at these four things that John tells us today. First of all, we know that God hears our prayers. Look at verse 14. And this is the confidence that we have toward Him. That if we ask anything according to His will... He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of Him. John is giving them a a picture of how it is that we are to pray. He, He actually assumes that. He doesn't actually say this. But notice, first of all, we are to pray to God. That's what he's talking about, that we pray to God. God is the recipient of our prayers. Our prayers are to, be to, are to be directed to Him. We don't direct our prayers to angels. We don't direct our prayers to other saints, to anyone or to anything else. We direct our prayers to God. And notice he says that when we do that, we can have confidence. In verse 14, not arrogance, not presumption, but a humble confidence. We can be confident because of who we are praying to. We are praying to the Lord God Almighty, the maker of the heavens and the earth, the sovereign ruler of the universe. So he says we can pray to him and to pray with confidence. And and notice he also tells us what we are to pray for. Pray for anything, he says. Pray for anything according to his will. In other words, what John is saying here is that our prayers are not to be about trying to get God's will to submit to our will. It's exactly the opposite. Prayer is God bending our will to be in submission to His. Isn't that what we all just prayed not too long ago in the Lord's Prayer? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And when we pray... He says, we can pray for anything. And when we pray for anything according to his will, we have certainty that he hears us and that he answers us. So here's the million dollar question, right? How do we know that we're praying according to God's will? If if we have the certainty, if we can know for sure that when we pray according to the will of God, He will hear us and He will answer us, then what we need to know is, how can we pray according to God's will? Well, let me give you one good and very simple way. Pray the Bible. This is God's revealed what? Will. 
This is the will of God for his people. Everything we need to know for faith and practice of that faith. Everything that we are to believe and how we are to practice that faith. We ought to use the word of God, praying the word of God back to God. As we use the words and the themes and the the truths of Scripture in our prayers, we're praying the will of God according to the will of God. So, we ought to pray things like, for the nations to come to Christ. We ought to pray for things like, that God would help us to grow in our Christ-likeness. That we would grow in our holiness. We, We should pray for things like, Lord, use me to help care for widows and orphans. We ought to pray for things like, Lord, help me to be ready to give a reason for the hope that I have within me. As we pray the prayers of the Bible, as we pray God's word, we're praying according to the will of God. And we have the certainty that he hears us and that he answers us. Now, John goes on in verses 16 and 17 and gives us an example of what that looks like in one particular context. Look at what he says here in verse 16. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. Now, as we hear those verses, lots of questions come up in our minds. Yes, uh, we have wondering about a lot of things here. But let's let's before we get into the question, let's first just stop and get a picture of the big the big point that John is getting across here. What's the main thing that John is saying here? He's saying here is an example of praying according to the will of God so that you have certainty knowing that God will hear you and God will answer you. When you see a brother in Christ, when you see a sister in Christ who is sinning, what are you supposed to do? Gossip? Avoid? Judge? No, what does he say? We are to pray for them. We are to pray to God on behalf of our brothers and sisters in Christ. And when we do that, God hears that prayer and it says he will give them life. He will help them. So what's all this language here in these verses about sin that leads to death and sin that doesn't lead to death? Well, there has been a lot of ink that has been spilled through the centuries of church history trying to determine what exactly is being said here. Lots and lots of opinions. In fact, churches have entire theological systems based on these verses. I tend to think that the simplest explanation is probably the right one. The sin that leads to final spiritual death, is ongoing, persistent, hardened rejection of Jesus Christ. That is the sin that leads to ultimate spiritual death. And it's likely John is actually thinking at this point about the false teachers. These people who had infiltrated the church, who were rejecting the true Christ. They were rejecting the Lord Jesus Christ and they were putting out ideas Of a Christ that is not the Jesus of the Bible. And even then, notice, John doesn't say that these people can't or that they shouldn't pray for even those false teachers. He only says that he's not instructing them. He's not commanding them to pray for them. So here's the first thing that we know is certainty. 
God hears our prayers. He answers our prayers that are according to His will. I came across a quote from Bernard of Clairvaux this week, uh, thinking about these verses about God answering our prayers. And he said, Brothers, do not despise our prayer, for when it has gone forth from your mouth, it has been heard in heaven. And be sure either that what you have asked for will be granted to you, or that what has been asked for has not been beneficial. We have the certainty and promise that God hears our prayers as we pray according to His will. And He always answers them. Not always according to how we want. Not always according to how we ask. And sometimes the answer is no. But we know God hears us. And God answers us as we pray according to His will. The second thing that we know is in verse 18 and verse 21. We know... That as those who have been born of God, we must not, we will not continue in sin. Look at verse 18. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. But he who was born of God protects him and the evil one does not touch him. And then verse 21. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. John here is restating something that he said earlier in his letter. We covered it back in chapter 3 in verses 4 through 9. If you want to turn there, just remind yourself of what he said in those verses. Chapter 3, verse 4. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning, because... He has been born of God. John is essentially restating that here in verse 18. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. And we talked about, if you'll remember, when we were looking at those verses, that that we know that John is not saying that Christians won't sin. How do we know that? Well, because John said earlier in his letter in chapter 2, these words, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. John's not saying that Christians won't sin. So what is he he saying? Well, if you'll remember what we talked about back in chapter 3, John is saying this. Those who are born of God, those who are true, genuine, regenerated Christians, cannot live in habitual, persistent, unrepentant sin. For those who are born of God, sin is no longer the primary pattern or characteristic of their lives. Why not? As he said in both chapter 3 and in here in chapter 5, it's because you have been born of God. You have been born again. The Holy Spirit has come upon you. And in that moment when He gave you faith for the very first time, you were changed. You were changed and you were no longer the same. Before God changed your heart, you were incapable of not sinning. 
But now that God has regenerated and changed your heart, now that you have been born of God, we are capable of not sinning. But that doesn't mean that we will ever do that perfectly on this side of Jesus' return. So the pattern for the Christian is a life of repentance. Every day, every moment, humble, thankful repentance. Now, I want you to notice that John mentions not only why God's people who have been born of God must not and will not continue in sin. It's because God has changed them. He has has caused them to be born again. But notice he tells them also how it will not happen. Look at the end of verse 18. He who is born of God protects him and the evil one does not touch him. Now, could be a little bit confusing here. We have... John talking about those of us who have been born of God, those of us who are brought into God's family, who are made God's people. We are we are regenerated by the Holy Spirit. And then again, he talks about the one born of God here at the end of verse 18. Scholars and commentators agree that here John is talking about the ultimate one who is born of God. The Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. And so knowing that, look at what he says in verse 18. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. And how do we know that? We know that because Jesus, the ultimate one who is born of God, protects him. And the evil one does not touch him. How encouraging is that? The one who has been born of God, Jesus Christ, protects us and doesn't let Satan touch us. This is how we know that those truly who have been born of God cannot and will not continue in persistent, habitual, unrepentant sin. It is because Jesus himself won't let us. He will do Everything that needs to be done, which sometimes is painful, to protect us. And he keeps Satan from even being able to touch us. The word there that John uses for touch is to take hold of, to cling to, or to bring harm to. So this is the second thing that we know with certainty. As God's people, we must not and we will not continue in persistent, habitual, unrepentant sin. And brothers and sisters in Christ, that should fill us with both motivation and strength to lean against our besetting sins. That's a phrase we we use sometimes, besetting sins. It's actually an ancient phrase. It goes all the way back to the Puritans. It's those those sins that seem that have gripped us with some power that, that we don't know how we're going to get out of it. But in those moments of temptation when we are staring at and contemplating those sins that are so familiar to us, that are so tempting to us, we are being told we do not have to give in. We can and we must say no to sin and turn the other way. We don't have to give in. Maybe the first thing that we need to do when we're in those moments is to pray verse 18 back to God and and to call on the Lord God Almighty to do what John says that he will do. That he will protect us and that he will keep the evil one from even being able to touch us. This leads to the third thing that we know with certainty. We know that we must be different than the world. Look at verse 19. We know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power 
of the evil one. He's giving us this contrast between those who are born of God and the world. Now, John isn't denying here that there are good and true and beautiful things in the world. Of course there are. Of course there are good and true and beautiful things in the world. Because why? Because this is our Father's world. Let us ne'er forget that though the wrong seems off so strong, God is the ruler yet. This world is fallen and it is broken because of the fall and because of sin. And the Lord God Almighty allows Satan to have power here for a time. But the time is coming when that will be brought to an end at the return of King Jesus. So the world isn't only bad and evil and under the power of Satan. But what John is getting at here in verse 19 is that for those who have been born of God, there must be a marked difference between us and the world. There must be a contrast. Because what does he say? We are from God and the whole world lies in the power of of Satan. It reminds us of the words that John actually recorded of Jesus praying in John chapter 17. Jesus was praying to the Father and he said this, I have given them, talking about his disciples, his people, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Those who are born of God, those who are God's people, are to be in the world, but not of the world. So there are a couple of things that we should regularly reflect on with that truth being there for us. The first is this. We should reflect Regularly on the question, we should ask ourselves, is there contrast between how I live and how the world lives? Is there a difference? Is there a noticeable difference between how I live my life and how I think and how the world lives and how the world thinks? Do our neighbors see a difference? Do our coworkers see a difference? Do our fellow students see a difference? Do our patients see a difference? Do our family, do our friends see a difference between the one who is born of God and the world? But we also need to reflect on another question. We should ask ourselves another question, and that is this. Am I living too much like I'm out of this world? Have I so secluded myself that I'm never rubbing shoulders with unbelieving people and ideas? Jesus said, I do not ask you, God, to take them out of the world. I have sent them into the world. Does your life reflect that truth? Because the opposite extreme of being of the world, that is being out of the world, is not biblically correct either. So this is the third thing that we know is certainty, that we as God's people, those who have been born of God, we must be different from the world. The fourth thing that we know 
is the greatest and most important thing that we know. It is the thing that we know which motivates and empowers us to believe and to live out all of the things that John is telling us. It is the wonderful truth that we find in verse 20. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true, in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Here is the greatest thing that we know with certainty. We are in Christ. John says so many important things here in this one verse, in this almost last sentence of the entire letter. Let's just pull it apart here for a moment. He says first that we know that the Son of God has come. We know that the incarnation of Jesus Christ is true. We know that the second person of the Trinity, that God himself took on flesh and became one of us. We know that Jesus was tempted just as we are, yet without sin. That he understands what it is to be one of us. John says, we also know that Jesus has given us understanding. He has enabled us to see and to understand and to believe and to trust. He has opened our eyes and he he has helped us to believe in his grace, that unearned, unmerited love and forgiveness and acceptance. He he's opened our eyes to see and to believe the truth, the word of God, which has everything we need for faith and practice. John says we know that Jesus Christ is the true God and eternal life, one of the most clear And direct and plain statements of the deity of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the true God. Jesus is eternal life. John is saying all of these things in this one verse. But it is this last little phrase, brothers and sisters in Christ, that I want us to focus on as we finish. We know, he says, that we are in him who is true. That we are in his son, Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters in Christ, this this truth that we are in Christ, it is so rich, it is so deep, it is so important for us to begin to grasp. John is using a phrase here that was one of the favorites of the Apostle Paul. Paul wrote 13 letters in the New Testament and he used this phrase, in Christ, over a hundred times in those letters. Sinclair Ferguson says this phrase of being in Christ, it is the greatest and most used description of someone who is a Christian. It is more used in a greater description than even the word disciple or believer or saint or even Christian. When the Holy Spirit changes our hearts, enables us to believe and gives us faith, we are united to Jesus Christ. The Westminster Larger Catechism, question 66, asks asks this question. What is that union which the elect have with Christ? The union which the elect have with Christ is the work of God's grace, whereby they are spiritually and mystically, yet really and inseparably joined to Christ as their head and husband, which is done in their effectual calling. Brothers and sisters in Christ, to be in Christ is to have been chosen from before the foundation of the world, to have been effectually called and had our hearts changed so that we can respond with faith and repentance. 
It is to be justified, declared righteous in God's sight. It is to have been adopted into the family of God. It is to have been and are being sanctified through the power of the Holy Spirit. It is the fact that we will be glorified in body and spirit when Jesus comes again. We have been permanently and eternally connected to Jesus Christ. We have been united to Him. If you are a Christian, you are in Christ. And there are some powerful consequences of that truth. Think of what it took. Think of what it took to make us united to Christ. It was nothing less than the birth and life and perfect love of obedience and the sacrificial and painful death and the resurrection from the dead and ascension of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And if it took all of that to make you in Christ, then we know, we can know for certain that He will never let us go. It's a powerful reminder of the assurance of our salvation and acceptance. Do you struggle to believe? Do you struggle to have an assurance of God's love and acceptance for you? You are in Christ. If we're united to Christ, we have everything that we need to say no to sin and yes to righteousness. We have the power of the Holy Spirit to enable us to lean and fight against our besetting sins. We have the power and the prayers of our Savior, the one to whom we are united, that we would be in the world but not of the world. We have the protection of Jesus from the touch, the harm of the evil one. Do you struggle with besetting sin? You are in Christ. Since we've been united to Christ, we have the promise and the hope of the gospel of grace that every sin, past and present and future, has been paid for in full, put upon Jesus' account. That the wrath and the judgment of God has been propitiated. It has been turned away from us and put on Christ. That the righteousness of our Savior has been credited to us. There is nothing that we can do to make God love and accept us any more or less because His love and acceptance is anchored in Jesus Christ. Do you struggle? Do you struggle to believe that God could really forgive you? You are in Christ. Brothers, sisters in Christ, there's so much in this world that will make us skeptical, that will make us cynical. We're told and we see so many things that we end up finding out are not what we thought, what are thought that they were true and good and beautiful, and we find out that they're actually the opposite. There's so many reasons for our hearts to become skeptical and cynical. But don't allow that to come into your Christian faith. John wrote inspired scripture, the word of God, so that we who believe can know that we have eternal life. So that we who believe know that we are in Christ. And because we are in Christ, as we start to grasp all that that means, we know that we must be different than this world. We know that we must not live in persistent and habitual and unrepentant sin. And we know that our Father hears us when we pray. And answers us as we pray according to His will.
Let's pray together. Father, help us. We who believe in the name of the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, we who have been born of God, we we believe. Help our unbelief. We know. But help us in the ways that we doubt. We pray, Father, that you would work the certainty of your word into our hearts and our minds. That in those moments when we are tempted to doubt, when we are tempted to give in to that sin once again, you would bring us back to the certainty of what is right and true and good and beautiful. Bring us back to our Savior. Remind us that we are in Christ. For it's in His name we pray. Amen.